So we've been in a, a sermon series here about the Holy Spirit. How many of y'all are you excited about that? Some of you, I know you're like, gosh, I wish she'd go ahead and get done with this. I mean, my Lord. How long can we possibly go, Clay? I mean, you're talking about... You know, I've had a couple, few people actually come to me that have been going to church here for a short period of time, and they say, you know what, I've been in church my entire life, and I've never heard a sermon series, much less really many sermons, period, on the Holy Spirit alone. Isn't that interesting? And I mean, we're talking about, we're talking about a very, uh, very important person in the Godhead. He's actually one of three. You got the Father, you got the Son, you got the Holy Spirit, and, the, and we worship all three in one, right? And so he has a very dynamic part of your Christian life. Like, you can't have a Christian life without him. Amen. Like, he's that important. And so we're going to be, I'm in the fourth message. If you've not heard any messages up to this point, like I would recommend you maybe even getting on our podcast and going back and listening to the other ones because coming to this one, it, it helps to lay a little bit of a ground, groundwork. It's summer, so some people are missing. It's good time to get into some controversial subjects. So we, we might get into a couple of things, like if you're on the edge of like, you know, I'm trying to figure this church out, maybe, maybe not. Today might push you over the edge. You might quit. I don't know. Oh, Hallelujah. But we're going to get into it anyway, and I'm going to preach a message called, really, it's, it's the sermon series message title, and that is, Be Always Being Filled. And you'll understand more once we get into this subject a little bit, and I just need to pray, though, right quick for myself. Can we pray? For, can you pray for me? Lord, we just, we don't want anything sensational. We just want you, God. We want the truth of your word, and we want your spirit. And Lord, so when I speak right now, I'm, I'm, I've thought a lot of things this week, Lord, but I just want to surrender to what you would have me to say, and I trust that you'll help me to do that, and I trust that you'll give us receptive hearts and minds, because I do believe that if we as a church, as individuals in a collective body, can surrender to the work of your Holy Spirit, God, that we can be empowered to do more, and to advance your kingdom, and to fulfill your calling in ways that we never dreamed of before. And so I pray that you would work in our hearts as we open your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So you know, um, my, uh, my father-in-law bought some land here recently, and, and we call him Uncle Paul back there. He's sitting back there, and He's, he's, been, he's been working this excavator, son. I, I, you, you're talking about land that had no roads, and all of a sudden it's got roads going up through here. And, and he's, he's moving mountains with this excavator up there. And the other day, you know, he ran out of gas because he'd been working all day. So Craig got with me, and I went with Craig, and we, was gonna, we were going to fill, fill the gas up in this excavator for him. And so I go up there, and we're, we're filling up the tank, and I'm standing on top of this excavator, and I'm looking at all the stuff that's been done. Literally, mountains have been moved to, to some degree. And I'm sitting there just pondering on it, and it's sort of like the Holy Spirit said to me, Son, do you realize the potential that you're standing on right now? I'm like, man, there's so much potential in this piece of equipment right here. But then he said to me, but you know what? If you don't have the tank full, there's no potential in it whatsoever. And can I tell you that we as Christians, we are setting on so much potential that it is unreal. But see, we have no potential. We've not realized our potential. We've not maximized our potential because oftentimes we live a life of Christianity that is not spirit-filled. We're not full. We're not overflowing. We don't have enough in the tank, so to speak, to move the mountains that are put in front of us. And God is saying so importantly, it's so, so important right now in our lives that we understand the Spirit-filled life because when we're filled with the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit is active in our lives, there's a life of abundance. There's a life of joy. There's a life of freedom. There's a life of healing and deliverance. And we see God move in our midst. The last thing that I ever want to become, and I've wrestled with God even about pastoring because when you pastor, you have to start taking everybody's feelings into consideration to some degree. Somebody amen me, right? And you got people from various backgrounds with different opinions, and some people don't like that, and some people don't like this. And I've, said, I've told the Lord, I, was like, I said, Lord, if I ever get to the place where when I'm pastoring, all of a sudden I have to cater to the needs and the opinions of the people to the point where we drive you out of the building, I will quit pastoring because I want God. More than I want you to be happy, more than I want you to agree with me, I want God in my life. And I'm not willing to push him out the door or, or negate his power or anything like that. I'm not ashamed of the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. And so when I talk about him, 
It's a very passionate subject for me because Jesus changed my life. But do you understand what we've been talking about biblically here is that Jesus changed my life and he did it through and by the means of the power of the Holy Spirit who he sent to us. And so he's a big deal and we've talked about this. And there's service in God's kingdom we've talked about when the power of the Holy Spirit comes. There's a guy named Bill Bright. He does campus crusades for Christ and he's written a lot of literature on prayer and fasting and stuff like that. He made this statement though and I really like this statement. Notice what he said. If I had to choose between sharing the gospel with a lost person or teaching a Christian the spirit-filled life, I would always choose the latter because if a Christian knows the spirit-filled life, they will witness to many more non-Christians. He's saying, look, if I had a choice to go out here and evangelize and preach the gospel to lost people or equip a Christian to understand that they can be filled with the power of the Spirit, he said, I'm going to equip a Christian every time because if they're filled with the power of the Spirit, they'll go out and win more lost people themselves. And so when we talk about the church, and here's the big thing, and this is, this is on Sunday mornings especially, obviously, what we want, we want to see people saved, don't we? But what really grinds my gears, as one dude once said, is when we as Christians are get so hung up on everybody getting saved and they say a prayer, but their lives are never changed. They never grow spiritually. Nothing ever happens. They're never empowered. They, never, they get saved and they never share the gospel with one lost person. That's not Christianity. He's calling us into something deeper. I'm already, I'm already hot right out of the gate, ain't I, folks? Be like, somebody put a, get a water hose and put this dude out this morning. I'm telling you, it burns in me. So last week we finished up in John 20 and we talked about Jesus preparing his disciples after he had been raised from the dead and he told them to receive the Holy Spirit. I want you to see the progression in Scripture and it's going to take us a minute to go through this because just like I gave you a survey of Jesus and the Holy Spirit at work in his life, I'm going to give you a survey today of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the church and how that progressed and I want you to see the progression of the Spirit-filled life. It's not a one-time thing. So many people say, well, you know, I was filled with the Spirit back 1998. Well, thank God. How about today? How about today? What's the Spirit doing in, in your life today? So it says, and we read this last week, John 20 and 20, 21 and 22, Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, that's weird. Why would he breathe on them? It's actually a call back to Genesis 2. We talked about how literally the word spirit in the Old Testament is the, is the Hebrew word ruach. In, the, in, in Greek, it's the word pneuma. Both of these words have triple meanings. It can mean breath, it can mean spirit, and it can mean wind. And so it's a callback to Genesis 2 because if you remember when God formed man out of the dust of the earth, it says that he breathed in them the breath of life and man became a living soul. And you see Adam becoming a living soul and Adam was, was the standard man, so to speak, for fallen creation because he sinned and sin came upon the whole earth. Jesus returns, he comes the first time and he is the last Adam and when he's raised from the dead having conquered death and received all authority and undone what Adam did, what did he do? He restarted everything and he breathed on his disciples the breath of life and they were regenerated, born again by the Spirit of God. Now, a lot of people will argue, no, 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 no. Now, Jesus is talking about them receiving the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And here's where they're, I'm going to get into this a little bit and try to unpack it the best that I can. Because there's a lot of differences in doctrines and opinions on this. And what I will say is, you know what? We can have differences in doctrines and opinions as long as we come together in agreement that we need the Holy Spirit to move in our lives. And I want to unpack this for you because we need to weigh on it. And somebody said, well, no, he was talking about what they were going to receive on the day of Pentecost. And then others will say, well, no, they were saved in that moment. They were regenerated. They were born again. But they still needed to receive the Holy Spirit for an empowerment for service. My argument is either way, when you get into the book of Acts, what you're going to see is that the Holy Spirit is coming upon them again and again and again and again. When you got saved, you received the Holy Spirit and He dwelt in you. But I promise you this, there is more to your life and the Christian life and more of the Holy Spirit available to you that you have not accessed yet. There is more Holy Spirit available to me that I have not accessed yet, even as a pastor. There is more available to us as a church corporately that we have not accessed yet. Yes, we received the Holy Spirit when we were saved. But if you want to sit there and tell me that you're functioning in, in all that God has called you to function in and in the fullness of the power, you, I'm going to laugh at you. There's more, folks. 
And we've got to come to an agreement on this that we've got to get hungry for God. He's raised from the dead. He tells them this and he breathes on them. And then somewhere around this same time in Acts 1, we read this, but I'm going to read it again. Verse 4, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water. So he talks about a water baptism. But you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. But you shall receive power, in verse 8, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Now, he's telling them to wait. Now, if anybody had a case not to wait, it was the disciples, wasn't it? They had seen all the miracles. They had been with him three and a half years. They say, Lord, we don't need to wait. We're ready to preach. We've seen you raised from the dead. we got enough to go on. He says, no, boys, you need power. You need a transformation. You need something in your life that is going to enable you to do what I've called you to do and carry out my work. And what I want to argue is that what happens in Acts 2 was very specific. Two sermons ago, you can go back and listen to it because it was a reversal of Babel. God was setting things right and it was a very unique set of circumstances and like I said I'm not necessarily uh, counting on flames of fire to come in here and dwell on each of our heads if God wants to do that I'm fine but I think he did it that way for a very specific reason then but the empowerment for service and the proclamation of the gospel that came upon them in that moment is the same empowerment for service and proclamation of the gospel that we need to have in our lives we still need what they received amen And so Acts 2 is an empowering for service subsequent or after salvation that happened to them. So what God has for us, you've got to understand it's ongoing. And you can have as much of the Holy Spirit, you can have as much of God in the Christian life as you want. It's really up to you. You're the one who says more God or no God, I got other stuff to do. And you know it's summertime, I know we all got a lot of other stuff to do. You know, God's like... You know what, I mean, we like, we like, I need to not get on a soapbox this morning. But we really like Christianity when it's convenient for us. We really do. And that's what we want. Most people come and they shop for churches. They see which one is going to just be the most comfortable for their life. You need a church that's not that comfortable. You need something that's going to challenge you because you've got idols in your life. You've got stuff that you need to lay down and set aside so that you can get more of God in your life. You're so full of everything else in the world and you don't need a church that is comfortable for you all the time. You need a place that's going to challenge you to go deeper with God. And if listen, if this place is not that, find somewhere else that will challenge you to go deeper with God. If Clay Bishop ever gets cold and Pastor gets weak and he's not preaching the truth anymore, get out of here and leave. You know what I'm talking about? I need God and we need the truth and we need to, we need to say, Lord, we know that we're not there, but we know that there's more that you have for us. And when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, matter of fact, uh, on Instagram, I put out a question. I said, if you have any questions about the Holy Spirit, send them in. We'll try to, we'll try to handle them. And I only got like three or four and they were good questions. Uh, but I love questions. You know, I'm open to that time. But one of the questions that when you talk about the Holy Spirit, people will always ask this question. They'll say, is there a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit at salvation and then baptism in the Holy Spirit after salvation? Is there a difference in that? And here's what I'll say. You know, I read, I read, so I read a book the other day and then I read, read a few articles. And what I came across was this. At least 12 different views on the baptism in the Holy Spirit. It's like, my Lord, friends, we can't agree on nothing. Twelve different views. And this is why we got denominations spread out all over the county and we're so dogmatic about what we believe that we'll never, I will never agree with them. Not those Pentecostals. Not the Baptists. And we get into this stuff and it's like, man, I'm telling you, that is the most unholy, ungodly, unspiritual thing that the church experiences today. I'm fine with the fact that we've got some differences, but what we need to do is be able to sit down at a table and say we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we can wrestle through the Scripture together so that we can grow. And if I'm being honest, the Baptists need the Pentecostals and the Pentecostals need the Baptists. Because one, I'm honest with you, seriously, we need to rely on one another. And the reason we need to rely on one another is because the Baptists emphasize the Word of God and, 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 and the precedence that it needs to have in your life while the Pentecostals are over here emphasizing the Spirit and experience. And the reality is the two need to be married together. 
And we need to experience the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God. Be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. But when we're rooted and grounded, it should launch us into a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit, where we are empowered to live like we've never lived before. So somebody said, well, you know, Clay, you must be a Baptist. Whatever you want to call me, I'm fine. Whatever you want to call me. But I've yet to find a label that just fits me. It's kind of like Saul's armor. It's just like, you know, I tried that on. It just didn't work that well. I was in the church of God for a while. I went to a church of God seminary and so many of the things that they believed I was down with. I was like, this is good. But there were some things that I wasn't just going to receive because the old dude got up there and said it. I needed to hear what the word of God was saying to me. Y'all amen me? Don't ever take anything just because I said it and I'm the preacher. Get in the Bible. Read it for yourself and be open. So many people in our community are locked into what they heard. One man say, you know what you've made him out to be? God. You've made him out to be the Word of God. You need to open the Bible for yourself and not just take what one man once said to you concerning these things. You need to see what Scripture says and pray diligently and say, Lord, I'm open. Whatever you want to show me concerning these things. So, back to my question. Like I said, I I need to... Help me, Lord. (laughs) Is there a difference between receiving the Holy Spirit when you're saved and being baptized in the Holy Spirit? And... One of, the, one of the reasons, honestly, why I, why I am so passionate about this is because I've received more grief over this subject in my life. I've been preaching now for 12 years, and in my life I've received more grief over this subject than anything. People quit church. People get mad at me. People call me a heretic. I mean, I've, I've, I've experienced that. And, and, and I know that most of you all, you're laid back. You don't care. You ain't going to hate me over it regardless. You know what I'm saying? I get that. But you got to understand that there are people that do. There are people that get very hung up over these things. And so, so, so as I'm speaking, I get passionate about it because I believe what the Lord has showed me in these things. And so here's what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you two different, uh, two different views of the difference in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and, and receiving the Spirit of salvation. And you can kind of pick one if you want. I don't care. But, but here's, here's, really, here's really the two, two different views. One view is this. One view is, well, you receive the Holy Spirit at salvation and He's with you forever. He indwells you and you're born again and He lives in your spirit. But then after salvation, there's a moment in time where you're baptized in the Holy Spirit and no longer does He indwell you, right? But He comes upon you and He empowers you for service and for ministry and He enables you, right? It's not now, you're, now you're not just saved, but now you're empowered to preach the gospel and minister to others. So there, there, there's that. And then a lot of people struggle with this because it, it, it creates a two-tier Christianity. And another guy would say it like this, and we'll get into the Pentecostal view of that here in just a minute. But another view is this, that really there's just one baptism in the Holy Spirit and everybody receives it at salvation. Matter of fact, Wayne Grudem, who is a theologian, he says it like this. He wrote a big systematic theology. He says this. He says, as for the Apostle Paul was concerned, as far as the Apostle Paul was concerned, baptism in the Holy Spirit occurred at conversion. When you got saved, you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, according to this view. And he says, Paul says that all the Corinthians were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the result was that they became members of the body of Christ. So based on 1 Corinthians 12, 13, here's what it says. Notice this. Everybody pay attention with with me here just for a minute. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink of one spirit. So this argument says this. It's not you get saved and then you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. It's you get baptized in the Holy Spirit at conversion, but then you enter into a life of drinking full of the Holy Spirit. And there will be many in feeling in feelings that come throughout life to empower you, to anoint you, to equip you, to sanctify you, to purge you, to burn away sin. And there is an ongoing experience in being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, here, and what I argue is, you know, here's the thing. People say, well, here's the real hang-up that I've experienced. Is when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, groups of people, and, here, and here's, I, can I just be honest with you this morning? Can we hang out till about 2 o'clock <laughs> so I can get everything on my heart? You know, here's what I've found. Because I've been a part of Pentecostal churches, and I was raised Catholic. I, like, I've been in different churches. I get it. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, 
what I find is that there's a big difference in, in views, and I think the truth lies somewhere in the middle because a lot of times what people think about the Holy Spirit is it's about getting wild, going crazy, just losing your mind, everybody speaking in tongues, and, and it's just, just, just a chaos, right? There's, the, there's the, on one side. Now, in response to that, the other side just shuts the door on the Holy Spirit. We ain't going to preach about Him. We ain't going to talk about Him. We ain't talking about spiritual gifts. Do not ever mention tongues. I mean, that's the one thing you can't mention. Or you've blasphemed, you know. I mean, and so, and the truth is, both of those sides, I think, are not biblical. I think both of those sides are not biblical. I, I probably lost two. I, one guy told me the other day, he said, you know, Clay, when you, I think it was Logan, he said, you talking about the Holy Spirit, the problem with you is you lose both sides because the Pentecostals don't like you and the Baptists don't either. <laughs> I was like, maybe at least God likes me, praise the Lord. He's still a good friend of mine. Oh. But see, the issue is there's a hang-up with the Pentecostal view because if, if, I went to Pentecostal church for a long time. And when I went, they, had a very, they have an article of faith in the church of God. And they say this. They say that we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit subsequent to salvation. That means it comes after salvation. And we believe in speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance and that it is the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Everybody getting nervous yet? <laughs> it's the initial evidence of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, after my experience, and, I, and I'll just forewarn you, I have spoken in tongues. I do speak in tongues. We just lost 12 right then, church. <laughs> But after I've studied Scripture and really weighed out my experience in God, I don't prefer that language. I don't prefer the language that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidenced by speaking other tongues. Because here's kind of what it creates. It creates pressure for everybody to come up and speak in tongues. And then, it, and then, it's, and then, it's, and then there's like this evidential thing on it like, well, if you ain't spoken tongues, you ain't filled with the Holy Spirit. Can I tell you that that I believe is absolutely not true? I know people who are filled with the Holy Spirit who have never spoken in tongues. And so I don't necessarily believe that. I don't believe that it's... A, and what, the other thing that I find is in Pentecostal churches, there's so much pressure on that response to come up to an altar and to, and to speak in tongues that it's like the, this badge of honor that creates this division. And most people who have been in there, if they've not spoken in tongues, what they feel like is I'm a second-class Christian. I don't have what they have. And they go around wondering, man, do I really even got it? Am I really even a good Christian? And, 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 they, and it creates this two-tier Christianity. Matter of fact, uh, Wayne Grudem set it up like this. You put that image up there he, in his book, Systematic Theology. He said, here's kind of how they divide it. That you've got your non-Christians, and then once you get saved, you've got ordinary Christians, and you've got spirit-baptized Christians. <laughs> and churches will preach it to the degree that you actually feel that pressure in the church. That, okay, here's over here's the ordinary Christians, but then over here's the Spirit-filled, baptized one, and we know that they're Spirit-filled and baptized because they've spoken in tongues. I don't think that's helpful. Do I believe in speaking in tongues? I do. But this divisive, I think, I think the way that we categorize that, when you are a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit. And you have the ability to grow in this capacity and to be filled with the Spirit. And sometimes when you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to speak the Word of God boldly. Sometimes when you're filled with the Spirit, there's a deeper level of sanctification. Sometimes when you're filled with the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit are going to manifest. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, healing, miracles. These things are going to show up in the Spirit-filled life. Does everybody have to speak in tongues? Absolutely not. Matter of fact, what I found is, is that people who really don't want to, never do. None of the gifts of the Spirit will come to you without you desiring them. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will force His way upon no one. If you're scared and you're apprehensive about the Holy Spirit and you don't ask for Him and you say, I don't want that, I promise you He'll never use you. He's looking for an open, willing vessel. Matter of fact, when Paul talks about the gifts of the Spirit, he said to covet earnestly the best gifts. It's the only time in Scripture that I know of that you're actually allowed to covet something. Every other time it's a sin. But he's saying there's a place where you come where you're coveting 
the spiritual gifts because you need that in your life. So what's my conclusion on all this? My conclusion is let's not get hung up in doctrinal differences, but let's at least agree based on Scripture, which I'm about to unpack, that we all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not just something, that's another thing like with the Pentecostal view. People say, well, you know, I got baptized in the Holy Ghost in 1998. And I'm wondering, what are you doing now? Forget 1998. I can take you back to a moment where the Spirit of God, and I, and I t- testified about it here the other day, where the Spirit of God came upon me, set me free, delivered me, empowered me. But can I tell you that what happened on that day is not good enough for me today? I need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. A fresh infilling, a fresh fire of the Holy Spirit in my life. Now, when we go to Scripture, right, like... Acts 2.4, for example, the first time that we know that they're filled with the Holy Spirit, it says, Acts 2.4, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit after they'd been waiting 10 days in the upper room, and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, they're first in filling. They spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And we all understand, I preached it two weeks ago, that they spoke in known languages in this particular instances. They spoke in languages that everybody heard, and it was a reversal of Babel. No longer was there a confusion in the language, but there was a knowledge of the language, and God was reunifying a divided world, bringing them together in Christ, and it was a supernatural experience. Now, here's what I want you to understand, too. It says that they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, doesn't it? What I want you to know about the Holy Spirit is this. Just like I said, He's a perfect gentleman. Most people get this concept because... How many, how many of y'all, you've ever been in like a wild Pentecostal church? Anybody? Somebody say, yeah. Yeah, we've been in there. <laughs> oh, man. I've been in them. Listen, I've been in some services where people get injured. You know what I'm talking about? Uh... So I know all about that. But what I've come to learn about the Holy Spirit is this, that He will force you to do nothing. I had this concept of even tongues or prophecy or gifts of the Spirit that if the Holy Spirit came upon you, you lose control. And then, and then you, you do whatever the Holy Spirit's moving you to do, and then you come to and you look like, what happened? I blacked out. Like, you, like He possesses you. Can I tell you this? The Holy Spirit will never do that to you. The Holy Spirit does not possess people. He doesn't take full control. He manifests Himself and He impresses people. He guides people. He leads people. But do you know that you can say no to the Holy Spirit? You can quench Him. You can resist Him. And even if He's wanting to move on you to speak in tongues, you can say, absolutely not, Holy Spirit. I ain't doing that because that seems weird. And I've done it before. Because He will never override your will. He just won't do it. When He wants you to do something, how many of you, and, and it's very simple because there are times as a Christian, the Holy Spirit will be pounding on your heart. Go speak to that person. Talk to him about Jesus and what do you do? Sometimes you yield and you go do it and you feel awkward and you feel weird and you wonder if it's God, you wonder if it's you. You, do, you go through that whole process. Or sometimes you just say no and you quench the Spirit when He was leading you to do it. You do the same thing with the gifts of the Spirit. It's no different. We're talking about, people get in their mind these things about the gifts of the Spirit and that it's just this crazy, like, just overly supernatural thing, and it's just not. It's to be naturally supernatural. God uses us in ways that are really quite simple, and I I wondered about how deep into this that I would get, but now that I'm here, I think I'll go into it a little bit. Because here's the thing. If you have questions about this, please don't have such a rigid uh, view that you just say, man, we're just throwing this out. I thought this was a good church, but we're gone now. <laughs> people have done that in here before. Y'all know that? Like, we've lost a lot of people just over this issue. It's funny. Um, and and uh, I, Lord, help me. I need to not get on a soapbox. But it, 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 I feel like at some point, my question is, why are people not talking about this more? Why are we not wrestling with it more? Yeah, the Bible teaches about three specific types of tongues, actually. There's a type of tongues in Acts chapter 2 that Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 is a sign to unbelievers. I've actually seen this happen in my life two times. I was in a service where a person spoke in tongues not knowing what language they were speaking and two people just so happened to be there that that knew Spanish and said this person spoke in perfect Spanish who didn't know the language and when it was interpreted, it was interpreted exactly the same. I went to a school where literally I I was the minority. Everybody came from Romania. They came from Africa. They came from Venezuela. And when we would meet for prayer meetings, oftentimes 
everybody would speak in their own language. And so you had all these languages just praying. And then one guy, one day, he began to pray. But while he, we were praying, he spoke in tongues. And another guy from another nation heard him speak and say, hey, buddy, I didn't know you spoke that language. He said, what language are you talking about? And he said, well, whatever language it was. He said, well, I don't know that language. He said, well, when I heard you, you were speaking my language and you said this. And it encouraged me. So it's very rare. I think it doesn't happen a whole lot, but I believe that it does happen. I've seen it happen twice myself personally. So you have that. But then Paul talks about a different type of tongues. If you read, I'm going to give you some homework. Read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 this week. Show up on Wednesday. We'll talk about it. But I, I was talking with a buddy of mine last night because do you realize that one whole chapter in the Bible is dedicated to tongues etiquette? 1 Corinthians 14 is literally how tongues and prophecy should operate in the church. And most of the time, the reason it's there is because most of the time when it operates, it operates out of order, doesn't it? And, and it doesn't happen in a way that it should function properly. And anyway, the second type of tongues that Paul talks about is he talks about a prayer language. Because he says in 1 Corinthians 14, 14, he says, If I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays but my understanding is unfruitful. He said, what is it then? He said, I'll pray with the understanding or I'll pray with English and I'll pray with the Spirit. I'll pray in tongues. I'll sing with the understanding. I'll sing in English and I'll also sing with the Spirit and I'll sing in tongues. He said that. And he said, and if you pray in an unknown tongue, a man who speaks in an unknown tongue, he said, edifies himself. In other words, when you speak in an unknown tongue privately to God, you edify yourself and you build yourself up so that when you come into the church, you can speak in English to people and there's power behind it. Understand what I'm saying? Paul, Paul made this different, differentiation because he said, listen guys, he said, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. He said that to the church. He said, I thank my God that I speak in tongues more than you all. He said, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words in a known language than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. What that allows me to believe based on Scripture is that privately, when he's with God, he said in 1 Corinthians 14, 2, a man who speaks in an unknown tongue does not speak to men, but he speaks to God because in the Spirit he utters mysteries unto God. So Paul in his private life is praying in English and he's praying in tongues when nobody else is hearing him because it's not for you, it's between him and God. He's building himself up. God is revealing mysteries to him and he is developing his prayer life and his communion with God. But then when he gets in the church, he doesn't speak in tongues that much. He speaks in a known language so you can understand and be edified. That's really good, isn't it? Then he says, and there's another type in the church. He said, when you're meeting together, he said that two or three can speak in tongues at most. And he said, let another interpret that the church may be edified. So he said, when you come together, don't have everybody speaking in tongues, y'all. You're going to freak everybody out. You're going to run people off. And if you do meet and there's people there that are initiated, activated, and they know what's going on, let the gift of tongues flow and let somebody interpret it so that the church can receive edifying. Now, here's where I, where I really struggle with it personally because I've experienced tongues. I went to a church where there were 3,000 people one time and there was tongues interpretation. When there's tongues and interpretation, a lot of times in a local body like our own where we're looking to reach people, there's a balance, I think. Because it's, it's literally this. One, one, one thing, we want to see people saved, don't we? And there's so many people that are freaked out with it. they got doctrinal backgrounds where they don't agree or believe. And literally, if all of us spoke in tongues, our church attendance would, would cut in half today. It just would. People are like, no, nah, we don't want no part of that. But the point being is that the gift is still there available, and I think in circles when we're... I don't know that Sunday morning is always the best time for the gift to operate because you got new people. Maybe sometimes it is. But really, when you're in small groups, when you're in prayer meetings and God begins to move, man, it edifies the body of Christ. And all of the other gifts begin to operate. So we do. We have to be careful how it's used, when it's used, all of those things because there's a greater goal in mind. Let me tell you this. Speaking in tongues is not the goal of the Christian life. If you don't ever do it, don't worry about it. I'm, if you don't want it, don't worry about it. That's, that's fine. It's not, it's not the goal of the Christian life. But we have to deal with it because would you, would you agree with me that it is probably the most divisive deal in the Christian life? I mean, people, the devil attacks the Spirit-filled life and he attacks the gifts of the Spirit because I believe that if they function in the true power that they're supposed to function, then you're going to see a real true move of God. So let me move on. Is everybody good still? 
Everybody like, well, two or three got up and they're left. So you see those three. Now read it for yourself. Come to your own conclusions. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. But look at, look at after the day of Pentecost. Peter is preached to 3,000. 3,000 are saved after he's filled with the Holy Spirit, as we said. Then in Acts 3, after he's filled with the Holy Spirit this first time, Acts 3, him and John go up to the gate, beautiful, and they see a lame man who's been lame from his mother's womb. And he's asking for alms. Peter looks at him and says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And immediately his feet and ankles receive strength. He began leaping and praising God. And of course, just like they do, the religious leaders got mad because a guy got healed. And so they got, he got healed and the religious leaders come to him in Acts 4, verse 7 through 10. And it says, And when they had set him in the midst, they asked him, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, notice what it says, Filled with the Holy Spirit said to them. Over and over again in Acts, this is the second time Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit already. And he's filled with the Holy Spirit again. And what has he done? He's empowered to speak boldly about a spiritual issue. And he says, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if this day we are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. See, they tell him now, well, let me tell you something. You may have done that in Jesus' name, but we're telling you right now, you better shut your mouth. Do not preach anymore in Jesus' name. Well, you know what Peter does? He says, you know what, boys? Let's get together. Let's have a prayer meeting. They get together. He cries out with all of the disciples, Lord, behold their threats. They've come out and threatened us. And what we're asking you to do is grant that your, your servants would speak your word with all boldness and that you would stretch forth your hand to heal and to do signs and wonders in the name of your holy child, Jesus. And in Acts 431 it says this and when they had prayed the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Peter has been filled now with the Holy Spirit three times between Acts 2 and Acts 4. Have you ever realized that? It's ongoing. The life of the Spirit never ends. And when you see a person filled with the Holy Spirit, it's often for different reasons. I believe the first time that I was filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, it was a deep sanctifying work in which God broke the chains of addiction off of my life. I was filled with the Holy Spirit later and I experienced the gifts of the Spirit manifesting in my life. I continue to this day to be filled with the Holy Spirit in moments because I'm seeking and asking God for this continual feeling. And what I'm trying to convince us through this sermon series is that we need a continual feeling of the Holy Spirit. And some of us, we ain't even experienced the first one. Say, so, well, I got saved. Yeah, but what is, do you have a fire in your heart for the things of God? Is there any desire whatsoever to grow deeper? We need this power. See, it goes on. Stephen, we talked about Stephen a couple of weeks ago. He is, he's preaching to these men who are resisting him. They get so mad at him, they stone him. And the Bible has already said that he is full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But then as they're stoning him in Acts 7.55, it says, But he, notice, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. He was full of the Spirit and he saw something heavenly. Because when you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be illuminated to things in God's Word. You're going to see things that you've never seen before. And he sees that full of the Holy Spirit. You notice Paul in the book of Acts in chapter 9, right in chapter 8 and 9. Paul is persecuting Christians, having Christians put to death. And at this time, his name is Saul. He's going around killing Christians. And while he's on the road to Damascus to deliver letters to have more Christians killed, Jesus appears in a vision in the sky, knocks him off his horse. Nobody else sees it. And he goes blind. He tells him to go down to the street called Straight where Ananias would be. And meanwhile, God is collaborating with Ananias saying, Hey, Ananias, I want you to go over and pray for Paul. Ananias saying, Dude, I ain't going to pray for that dude. He done already killed a thousand Christians. He's going to kill me if I go over there. God encourages him, says, Go over and do it. And he's being led by the Spirit this entire time. And here's what it says in, in Acts 9, 17 and 18. Ananias went his way and entered the house 
And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once. I'm telling you, when people experience an infilling of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes what they say is, I'm seeing something I've never seen before. I see Jesus in a whole new light. I never realized he was this good. And all of a sudden, something changes. And then Peter, you see, is called to preach the gospel now to the first Gentiles. And there's a guy named Cornelius who has been praying and fasting and seeking God, but yet doesn't know the gospel yet. And God gives Peter a vision. He shows him that that now the gospel is supposed to go beyond just the Jews, just Israel. It's supposed to go to Gentiles, believers like you and me that aren't Jewish. And it says that he goes and he preaches to these people. In Acts 10, 44-47, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. I love that language, fell upon. I don't know why. Just cool, isn't it? I like the way the Bible reads, you know? I mean, God did write it. He's a pretty good author. But have you ever had the Holy Spirit fall upon you? I remember, I remember, uh, and I told you this testimony that when... I was in addiction and bondage and I was praying and fasting. I had my first encounter. I could take you like, to the place in Lexington, my apartment, Stuart Hall Boulevard, up in the upper room. You know what I'm talking about? And, and I was up there praying and God came upon me. And in a moment of time, the day before I had addictions, the day of no longer, boom. I mean, he set me free from that stuff. But not only with that, there came an empowerment to preach the gospel. And, you know, I, I hadn't been going to church really that much. I checked it out, but church was weird, so I didn't go that much. After that, I had a deep desire to be in church. All my differences got burnt up. So I went to church, never been to an altar before in my life. I had been praying all week, Lord, I want everything that you have for me. And I had been reading in Scripture even about the gifts of the Spirit. I would literally go one by one through 1 Corinthians 12. I said, Lord, use me in that one. Lord, use me in that one. Lord, use me in that I wanted God. You ever just want God? And you get hungry for Him. Whatever you got, Lord, I don't know what you got, but I want it. So I had already experienced what I believed to be an infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I was sitting in this church. I'd never been to an altar. And the guy gets done preaching, really not much going on. Of course, it was a church of God, so they used the specific language that I talked about, right? And he said, he said you know what? I feel like there's somebody in here that wants to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Said it just like that. And, and, and me, I'd been praying and fasting all week for an encounter with God. I was sitting in the pew, and all of a sudden when he said that, it was like... <gasps> I felt the Holy Spirit fall on me. I I would not have known what that meant in the Scripture if I hadn't experienced it happen because I was overwhelmed. My head got hot. My heart began to pound. And it was almost like I was compelled to stand to my feet and walk to the front. And when I got up there, there wasn't nobody else around. And I thought to myself, what am I doing up here? And my hands are trembling. And my legs are weak. I kid you not, I'm barely able to stand. And all of a sudden, the guy looks at me, the pastor, I think he was shocked that I was up there because he probably knew who I was. So he didn't lay hands on me and pray for me. He went and got a little girl. He said, you lay hands on him. (laughs) I kid you not. This girl laid hands on me. And you know, at this point, I I didn't even know what it meant to be a good Pentecostal. So I didn't know you're supposed to fall down and stuff, you know. (laughs) Only, Only thing I knew was my legs were weak. So I sat down. And when I sat down, somebody got one of them little blankets and come over and laid it on my lap. And I said, what in the world's going on here? I said, I don't need nobody going to bed or nothing. I'm just sitting down. And I'm trembling. Because the Spirit of God was on me. It was the wildest thing, the wildest experience. And in that moment, I had this revelation. It was, it was really strange. I had this, revelations, this revelation that the Lord was manifesting the gift of tongues in my life at that moment. I kid you not, I really I had a revelation. How did you know? I don't know, really. It was just there. And, but I also realized this. If I didn't speak, He wasn't going to force me to. So that was the most scary moment of my life because I thought, oh my gosh, I'm about to do something that is insane. I'm about to try to speak in another language. And you know what I did? I spoke. And it messed with my mind. I thought, God, that couldn't be God. I went home the next week. I said, man, that couldn't be God. 
Went home the next week. And, but you know what I did? It felt really good to me. I don't, I don't know. It just felt good. I'm just being honest. Y'all going to be like, man, this, we liked Pastor Clay. He preached some really good messages, but now he's lost his mind. <laughs> so that week, based on Scripture, he talked about praying in the Spirit. So I did it. I prayed throughout the week. And, and, I, and I prayed throughout the week. And, and, and I, thought, I said, Lord, if this is real, I want it. I said, if this is just me and it's foolishness, I don't want it. I said, I don't know. I'm confused. Some people say it's demonic, but I know this. Whatever you're doing in my life is not demonic because what I've got is love, joy, and peace, and I no longer love alcohol and drugs and sex and want to live like a hoodlum. I'm free. I know the devil doesn't do that kind of work, y'all. You know what's so funny? While I'm on my soapbox, yeah, clap. While I'm on my soapbox, I had preachers when I was a kid getting drunk, getting high, that I would go to sometimes for counsel, and they would barely give me anything. But when they found out I spoke in tongues, then they wanted to come talk to me. Tell me what I had wasn't real. I said, do you realize what God's done in my life? I said, let's set tongues aside. I used to be an addict, son. I used to not know God. I was living for the devil. I was going to hell, and God came and set me free. And you tell me what I had ain't real? Because you went to seminary? I went to seminary too. Whew, rough times. They'll try, to, they'll try to teach the God right out of you sometimes. My point, I guess, in all of this is we could probably be a little bit more open to God. We're not looking for craziness here, folks. We're not looking for sensationalism. I'm not looking for everybody to speak in tongues and go wild. I'm looking for a genuine and a true outpouring of the Holy Spirit where lives are transformed and people are changed. I did that that whole week. I prayed, and you know what? I went to a prayer meeting, and we were in a big circle at a prayer meeting, and, and it got so quiet a pen could drop, and I felt the Spirit fall on me again, and I felt this urge in my heart, my heart pounding out of my chest, and I felt like I was supposed to speak in tongues, and you know what I did? I said, I ain't doing this. That's too weird. And I literally, while I'm sitting there saying I ain't doing this, I felt it lift up off of me. And then I had a revelation. This is what it means to quench the Holy Spirit. I just said no to Him. In that same moment, I said, Holy Spirit, I'm sorry. If that was you and that's what you were wanting me to do because I'm confused in my brain, come back and I'll do it. He came back on me. I opened my mouth and I spoke in tongues out loud. And it was interpreted and something very supernatural happened in that moment. And I know a lot of y'all, you say, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know if I believe in that. Read the scripture for yourself. If you disagree, that's fine. Because we, it's not something like we, we preach on this all the time. This is a secondary issue. But here's the point that I'm making. Is that sometimes people are afraid of the work of the Holy Spirit and what He's doing. And because they're afraid of it, they won't open themselves to greater dimensions of what He really truly wants to do. Am I saying you have to speak in tongues to be filled with the Holy Spirit? No, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that this issue is such a stronghold and a hang up for people that I need to address it and cover it just, just to sort of open up the reality that there's more to God than what you think. So, he says, the Spirit fell upon them, right? Now we're in verse 45. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished as many came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Notice this, verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Now this is where Pentecostals will get the doctrine that it's the initial evidence. Why? They said they knew they received the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Do I think that's good language? Like I said in the beginning, if you showed up late, I don't think it's necessarily good because when I first got filled with the Holy Spirit, I didn't speak in tongues. I know people here that when they first got filled with the Holy Spirit, they didn't speak in the tongues. But I know at least five people here who have been used in the gift of tongues that was interpreted in this building this morning. So God can use people in a variety of ways and don't get so hung up on it and think that, man, that's just ungodly or whatever. Do I think maybe it's the best gift to have on a Sunday morning? Usually, to be honest with you, it causes me more strife and more grief than it does goodness, if I'm being honest. I've wrestled with the Lord. I've been like, Lord, sometimes I just wish people would be quiet. <laughs> because, because, because to be honest, it ends up, I have 12 people come to me and ask me, you know, a million questions and people get tore up about it. But what I'm saying is, what do, what do we want? A genuine move of the Holy Spirit. A genuine move of the Holy Spirit. Acts 13, 
It says, but Elamus, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, second time we know of Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, and he basically rebuked this guy because he was resisting somebody from receiving the faith, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit that we know of in Acts for the second time to, be, to begin to speak a word of rebuke. And then Paul comes to believers in Ephesus in Acts 19 and asks them if they have received the Holy Spirit since they believed. He said, boys, have y'all received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They said, we didn't know whether there was a Holy Spirit. He said, well, what was you baptized in then? They said, well, we got baptized in John's baptism. He said, that was a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. And then he began to talk to them. So he baptized them in water in Jesus' name. And it says this in Acts 19. And when Paul had laid hands on them, verse 6, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. So what you see when people are filled with the Spirit, oftentimes there is something that happens vocally. They proclaim the Word of the Lord. They preach the Gospel. Sometimes tongues are involved. Sometimes prophecy is involved. You see God moving in people. And I'm going to say this. Sometimes when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, your sin and your addictions and all these things, your hang-ups are burnt up in a moment of time. And all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with the love of God. I don't really care what happens because it's the Holy Spirit that's in control. I just want Him to happen. I mean, that's where I'm at. You, you use me how you want. That's been my prayer. And so the Lord has used me in different gifts. Do you know that when you talk about the gifts of the Spirit, He causes us to rely upon each other. I don't think He's going to give any one individual all the gifts of the Spirit all the time. You agree with that? He wants all us collectively as a body to be open to God using us in various ways. So we have ongoing feelings of the Spirit. You see in the book of Acts that it's ongoing, right? Notice this image right here, this last image here. You put that image up for me. Now here's what Wayne Grudem says. And this dude's not Pentecostal, so those of you that are not, you're still with me, see? He said this is a better way to look at it. You have years of the Christian life, you have non-Christians, and then when you get saved, you enter into this life of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is really accurate because you need to be continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And there are moments where you're growing in your Christian growth. You're reading the Bible, you're praying, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a moment where the Spirit comes upon you. And it increases your growth. And you're growing and you're reading the Bible and praying. Nothing supernatural, nothing crazy is happening. But then all of a sudden, there's another moment where you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And you're continually filled, you're continually growing, always growing in your capacity to be filled with the, with the Holy Spirit. And this is why Jesus says in Luke eleven thirteen, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Most people would say, well, we got Him at salvation. Why should we ask for Him? Because He's saying you need to increase your capacity to receive more of the Holy Spirit and to grow in deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit. And the verb tense there is present active tense. That means that you ask and you keep on asking. You seek and you keep on seeking. You knock and you keep on knocking and he's going to get what I got yesterday is not enough for today. And the question is do you earnestly, do you even desire, do you even care? What I've come to realize is that the vast majority of Christians they just don't care. They're fine with staying at a lower level Christianity their entire life. They don't want any more. Especially if it could lead to something very weird happening. You know what? I think God gives the gift of tongues just to try to deal with your all's pride. I, I promise you. Because, you know, I know people that have even been uh, used in the gift of tongues and they struggle with it. Why? Because they get rejected. They get ridiculed. And they quench the spirit over it. Because they're, just, they're not crazy. They're normal people who want God. But the rest of the church world thinks they're insane. And so they, they say, you know what, Lord, I liked it, appreciate it, but people think I'm weird, so I'm going to set that aside. That's pretty sad. Need I remind you that these gifts are not something that I came up with or Paul came, or Paul came up with. These are something that your Heavenly Father came up with. God designed these things, handcrafted. And I think it is something that goes against our natural mind for a purpose because He's bringing you into the things of the Spirit which the natural mind cannot understand. And this is why Paul says he commands us because you know what? He thought, he knew that we would think it would be an option. In Ephesians 5.18, he says, And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Be filled with the Spirit. The reason I've called this sermon series what I've called it is because of this verse, because it's present, passive, imperative. You say, well, Clay, we have no idea what that means. I know. I barely do either. But here's what it means. It means that somebody else is constantly feeling you and you have to allow them to constantly feel you. And a better rendering of the translation would be, be always being filled. Never cease to be filled with the Spirit. It's not you get filled with the Holy Spirit and then you're done and it's over. When we think about the Holy Spirit, what we often think about, I got a little balloon here, right? What we often think about is you fill up a cup with water and then it overflows and you think, well, see, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do I need to be filled anymore? And I, I was praying, Lord, I need, I need an illustration to show people what I'm, try, what I'm thinking about in my mind, how we're to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And I had this thought, is there air in this balloon right now? There actually is. There's air on the inside. You get saved, the air comes on the inside. But the problem is, here's where you're still at. You're flapping and you ain't full. <laughs> but I'm telling you, when you seek the Lord, when you grow spiritually, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes upon you in a moment. He's in there. The Holy Spirit's in there. But now there's an increase and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, right? Oh, I got a little bit more right then. But you know what? I don't pray as much. I backslide a little bit. Oh, but I, but I come back to the Lord. I say, Lord, you know what I need? I, I need more of your Holy Spirit. Forgive me. More comes in. But we're not done yet, are we? Because I've not reached my full capacity of being filled with the Holy Spirit, and I continue to seek God, and all of a sudden, more comes in. I think you understand my point. And many of us, we get scared of certain things or maybe we just see, maybe we got hang-ups. Maybe we just, maybe we just are unable to forgive somebody. And we got all these hang-ups in our life. We, a lot of us have doctrinal hang-ups. And all of a sudden, we just let it go. Oh, and it sounds like that too. <laughs> and we're just content to stay right there. I'm not content to stay right there. And this is why Paul says you need to be always continually being filled with the Holy Spirit. And you need to increase your capacity to be filled with the Holy Spirit and be open to what God wants to do in your life. I'm telling you, a lot of you, you're functioning in your own strength. And I'm, again, what I don't want you to take away from this is, like I said, that I'm asking you to get crazy and just everybody speak in tongues. We know 1 Corinthians 14 says that, no, that's not the way that it's supposed to operate, is it? But what happens... If God did give you that gift, would you receive it? It's kind of like on Christmas, you know what I'm saying? Like Aunt Esther comes in with a, with a sweater. And it's a gift, but you're like, Psh. <laughs> I don't know if I want that gift. Anybody amen me on this? Here's, what, here's the thing that I come to with God. I said, God, my life is not my own. And your word commanded me to desire spiritual gifts. Did I, did I, when, I gotta be honest with you, when I prayed for spiritual gifts, the ones I wanted were miracles, son. You know what I'm talking about? I want to walk around with a magic wand and do crazy stuff. But the Lord didn't give me that. And thank God He didn't, right? Because I'd probably be puffed up in pride. But the first gift that He gave me was the gift of tongues. And you know what it did? It humbled me. So my, my point being is, we need to be open to God because we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I want you to stand to your feet. And I'm going to make this statement, but I will not compel people because it's against my nature. I just ain't that kind of guy. Man, I used to listen to a preacher and he'd say, you need to get up here to this altar now. You know, and I'm just not that kind of guy. But what I'm saying is I believe that the Holy Spirit is at work in this room. And if you want more of the Holy Spirit, here's what I believe with all of my heart is that public response to God initiates the activity of God. He loves it when His people respond publicly. And there's this fear and there's this weirdness associated, I know, with responding to God or coming to an altar. But I'm telling you, if you want more of the Holy Spirit right now, I believe that you need to respond to God. Whether you come to this altar, whether you lift your hands to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm asking you for a fresh infilling. I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit. What I'm telling you is that public response to God initiates the activity of God. So I would just say we're going to worship right here in just a minute. If you need prayer, you can come forward. But I'm asking every single person that will, don't worry about what somebody else is doing in this moment. This is about you and God. 
For some of you, you just need to be saved. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to repent of your sin and come and give your life to Jesus. For others of you, you, you've been a Christian for so long, but you need a greater measure of the Holy Spirit in your life. And what I'm saying is just yield to that. Just say, Lord, I'm open. And one of the best ways to do it, you may not feel anything. You may not experience anything, but you may experience the most powerful thing in your life. We don't know. The Holy Spirit does what He wants to do. Let me say this, just just because you don't experience the most powerful thing you've ever ever experienced in your life doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit isn't still at work in you. Sometimes when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's very subtle. You don't even fully realize it. But many of you, I I told a buddy of mine one time, he said, man, I go to this church, I wonder, I question whether or not I'm filled with the Holy Spirit or not because I feel like I'm supposed to just go crazy. That's not what it's about. It's not about going crazy. It's about being filled with the love of God, the power of God, having a heart for souls, being willing to share the gospel and preach the gospel. And yes, on occasion, as a body, collectively, we're going to be used in the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to be used by God. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. You can come to this altar. You can kneel at your seat. But please, don't pass this opportunity to respond publicly to God because I believe He'll meet you where you're at. So Father, right now, in Jesus' name, Lord, we just ask for more of your Holy Spirit. We pray that open hearts and open minds, God, would just be in every person right now because, God, we ask you, your word says that our Heavenly Father will give good gifts to those who ask Him. And specifically, Lord, you said you'd give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So we're asking you right now, just ask Him right out of your mouth, Lord, give me your Holy Spirit, a greater measure of your Spirit, God.